0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, RotoViz radio listener, this is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button
1: How can we use preseason information to get better at fantasy and not fall into traps? That's what we're talking about this week on Ceiling Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards per and my Substack at BenGretsch.substack.com. You can find my co-host who's with me as always, Sean Siegel over at RotoViz, where he's dropping the zero RB list for 2021, the most important article you can read all offseason. And Sean, on the first show, we talked about, you know, some of the ways in past seasons, we've seen things happen with ADPs and shifts and and some of the more kind of broad things that we're, we're, we see in August and, and how we play them, how we consider them, talk through some, of, some player takes in that one as well, probably more than we usually do in our first episode. It's a really important topic right now. How much should we be reacting to news and information? On this show, we're going to talk a little bit about some players that have been moving, maybe some players that we're a little bit concerned that we might be wrong on frankly. So yeah, this will be a fun one. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. It's so much fun to talk with you on this topic and and kind of pick your brain about what you've seen so far in the preseason. I wanted to start us off with this idea just sort of as the headliner. The preseason helps us locate sleepers and maybe helps us get away from guys that we thought were going to be sleepers and it's probably not going to happen for them right away. The two names that kind of jump out and, and these names jump out at a time when I, like you mentioned, putting together that zero RB list. One of these names didn't make the list, but you've also mentioned the update. It'll be coming out next week. I uh, really kind of right there for the final drafts. And it usually includes a watch list. Someone who's going to end up on the watch list is Jarrett Patterson, who has had this breakout camp and one of the most productive players in preseason for the Washington football team. We contrast that with Javian Hawkins, who has been released by the Atlanta Falcons, signed by Tennessee, but someone there in Atlanta where we thought it's wide open, he could be the Philip Lindsay, he could be the James Robinson of 2021, it no longer seems like that's going to happen, so then we have this big contrast, Hawkins had these great numbers in a lot of our advanced research for RotoViz. backfield dominator rating really high, breakaway rush score really high, both of those things important for players who fall toward the end of drafts. By contrast, Patterson, and sometimes you get a little embarrassed by the numbers that the the computer will spit out, but he actually had the best pre-draft running back prospect lab score from this class. Now, this class actually is not particularly strong in part because uh, so many of the players are so old, but Patterson had all of this production and yet is small and maybe not that fast, and so... You know, not only does he, is he not the first player drafted, he's not drafted at all, right? And suddenly, this guy that Blair and I were drafting, you know, in round 27, round 28 of the FFPC Classic Best Ball Leagues, you know, getting those final guys, you're like, well, that's, you know, I'm just operating with one less position now than everybody else. But Ben Patterson has been the breakout star. This is obviously a little bit of hyperbole, but the guys in Washington's camp are comparing him to Maurice Jones Drew.
1: Yeah, he's big. I mean, it, I was thinking today, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what what could happen with Antonio Gibson, what his true upside looks like. I mean, J.D. McKissick is, is a guy that I'm drafting a lot and I like, but he doesn't have a really long, you know, history, and, and he is older. Um, he's 28, I mean, he's not, you know, incredibly old, but 80 catches last year, just uh, 70 in his entire career prior you know, he, he might have the, the potential to be the receiving back for the entire season this year. But what if he, number one, maybe isn't very good this year? Or what if he, I guess, probably more to the point were to get injured? You know, it, you know certainly the, the path for, for Jarrett Patterson would be clearest if something were to happen to Gibson as well. But it would be interesting to see if Patterson could could be used in sort of a secondary change of pace type way alongside Gibson if McKissick were to, for some reason, not necessarily be there. I think there's some, some multiple paths there. There's ways that he could fit. It's one of those things where, you know, we talk about a size not being great uh, or, or people think that way that, that maybe he's, you know, can't be a workhorse. What's his real role going to be this and that. In some ways it, it almost leads to a little creativity where like he could potentially be used on third downs or things, you know, sometimes people, you know, coaches try to sort of fit these guys into, Put these guys into certain into certain roles so yeah he's in he's an interesting one i mean he has looked very good in the preseason
2: and i'm always more interested in these guys who were just amazing collegiate producers you have all these people who were actually drafted right picked at the end of drafts and you go and, you look and you're like, at you know these people were not good college players and college football is difficult right but it's a big step up to the nfl so if you did basically nothing in college i don't understand why you're being drafted you have patterson who was a star and so I'm never very surprised when these guys go out and just start doing the same thing. And, you know, their teammates love them. Their teammates rave about them. So, you know, I have this question in the back of my mind. Is like, is he good enough? Has he, you know, one kind of a backup job to where if Gibson is hurt, then suddenly you have something. You know, you go and you look at the site and he still has fifth-string his guys behind some people like Peyton Barber, Jonathan Williams. You know, is that going to hold at all? I mean, you're looking forward to the cuts here to find out where he actually may fit you know, within the roster. But I think that's interesting. I like to track these guys who we just, we know they were so productive and we know that matters. You know, you look at a Miles Gaskin, so productive, he eventually finds his way in, even though his size athleticism profile isn't great. I think guys who can play, they can often still play. It doesn't always happen. We do see that running back is a very athletic position. And so you've talked about the running back profiles that, you know, I kind of came up with seven, eight years ago on Rotoviz and how they still basically work. Athleticism is a big part of that. The guys who don't have that, you know, usually you're talking about somebody who maybe is useful here and there, but these hyper-productive players, when they break out in training camp in the preseason, I think that's interesting information. We want to, again, be very aware of price, but that's somebody who I'm following because of what the previous information was. And so I think the combination of, preseason with what you know about the guy coming in is important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're always encouraging people to think that way. It's been a huge shift in the way that I play having had the luxury of co managing some teams with you for the last several years is just this idea of the long view is the way that I was putting it in stealing signals at times last year that, you know, especially with young guys, I, it is so, It so clearly becomes sort of like, you know, a horse race type thing where, oh, how good is this guy's role? What, What is his opportunity? This and that, that it gets lost whether or not that player was actually a good prospect and we have any reason to believe that he can be good in that role. And then more specifically, even before the role materializes, keeping in mind these long view things. And as we start to hear the, you know, any information, like you're talking about with Patterson, the reason he, like some people will see him on the watch list and say, man, Sean's going really deep this year. But the reason you're putting him there is all of it. Right, it's all of it. It's not. It's not because Washington is necessarily a place where it's it's clear that he's gonna have uh, an opportunity. They they have two backs that they're gonna use, and it looks like you know they used a lot last year. And it looks like they're gonna use again this year in the same ways. Patterson, though, you know we we don't know about the the opportunity situations. We don't know about injuries. That's the chaos where I was talking about in NFL seasons. He's the kind of guy that could actually take advantage, and so it's that that other side of the equation. Not what the percentage possibility is that the guy becomes you know, finds himself in a role where he can get enough touches, not the likelihood that 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 might happen in this particular backfield. It's both, but not that as much as how good would he be if that happened? Even if we can't see it, how good would he be? And I think that's really interesting. It's a reason we talk about guys like Eno Benjamin still, who, you know, everyone's probably sick of hearing about because we believe that if he found himself in a significant role, that not only would he get there, we're not even necessarily talking a ton about the percentage chance that he could get there, but that he would be good there. And that's, that's very important. And that's that sort of long view and looking at his profile and all of those things.
2: How about some of these guys who are in this 100 to 150 drafted range at the running back position? Uh, Mike Clay was on the show, gave us some great info on values he's targeting guys. He's shying away from Michael Carter, someone he said he didn't understand the price for all offseason. We now have kind of more information leading a little bit in that direction where The early reports were oh you know he's going to be the starter he looks fantastic the more recent reports are you know tevin coleman is there ty johnson has been better than people expected there actually might not be a ton of work early and you're talking about a guy who you know was not necessarily drafted to be an immediate starter or a star Ramondre stevenson someone who didn't have a lot of production but i mentioned travis may all the time you know the research that he has done and, and you know he believes that trey sermon left because stevenson was so good we know what sermon has been doing in camp and now we know that the patriots have traded michelle at least in some ways it really feels like to open up this job this backup and perhaps even a more of a hybrid role with harris we know it's rushing with white we know it's receiving now maybe stevenson can do both and if you had that back in the patriots offense for once Then we'd be talking about Monster Upside. He's getting more expensive, but still someone you can easily put on your roster if you decide to make that decision. And then Hubbard, an interesting guy because he's drafted in that same basic range, but very blocked by Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I wrote about him in a recent piece and how he's the ultimate mixed messages back where People think he can't break tackles. He had this highlight play in the preseason where he has the third and one. He runs into the line. He keeps the feet going, keeps the balance going, breaks through the tacklers, gets to the edge, looks like he's going for the touchdown, and doesn't make it in. He's obviously frustrated. He says afterwards he should have scored. You know, so even when he does the thing people say he can't do, then he maybe doesn't get what we thought he could do, which is, you know, scoring the touchdown once he's in the open. These three backs, are they interesting to you for fantasy? Are we learning things about them in the preseason that really matter?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we're learning things. Certainly the Michelle trade was interesting for Ramondre. Uh, I'm going to kind of do the opposite of what I was just preaching, but say that now the path to to him seeing a role is it's, you know, it's big enough that it's hard to ignore. I mean, we know that Damian Harris is going to play a lot. We know that James White's going to play a lot, but Bill Belichick has used – a back in the way that you just described for many years as a third back, and the name by the name of Rex Burkhead, and and certainly that's the potential role that Ramondre could look at, where he could get some receiving and some and even some goal line work, or or you know who knows how it shakes out, but um, he could wind up being a high value touch guy that that looks really nice. Frankly, the the Hubbard thing not so much because you you've talked a lot about his uh, ability all offseason. I mean, I would say watching him, I, I've been very impressed. Like he's looked very very good. Maybe that's made me more comfortable drafting him, but probably nothing in the preseason should have changed what we already were thinking about him, which was that, you know, he was a very interesting prospect from some of your offseason work. And if Christian McCaffrey were to miss time again this year, unfortunately, it, you know, w- if that were to happen, that Hubbard could be very interesting, much in the way that Mike Davis was last year and maybe better, right? Because he's younger and he's potentially just a
2: much better player. Who was the third we were talking about? Uh, Michael Carter, are you. I mean, he's someone who goes in that range where rookies often perform very well for fantasy, in part because they're priced with the uncertainty about what their role is going to be. And then if they have the talent, by midseason especially, they're really doing work. Does he have kind of what he needs there? One of the things that... I almost like the fact that this is a little bit more of a confused backfield than expected because it does keep the price down. He pulls him more into a range now where maybe I can afford him in some drafts. And then you contrast that with the fact that Zach Wilson has looked very good. Corey Davis has looked very good. And Corey Davis has looked good perhaps in part because Elijah Moore hasn't been out there, but he's going to be out there. or At least, you know, we very much hope that he's going to be out there. This Jets offense could be better than expected, which I think would be a big boon for their backs.
1: Yeah, no, I I just wrote the AFC and NFC East stealing signals this week. And my Jets point was basically just that everyone in this offense is sort of undervalued. I mean, their ADPs collectively don't make a lot of sense. They are very much assuming this is going to be a, a very bad team. And they might, but we are definitely anchoring collectively too much to the Adam Gase jets, the, the old jets. They were the second, they were, they were second fewest in play total play volume last year, which is, uh you know, not good for fantasy for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, all new coaching staff, new quarterback, all new receivers new running backs, everything is new. It's a completely different team. They could be that bad again, but certainly we need to regress our expectations somewhat from 31st in the league in play volume. and and, you know, bottom three offense. And I don't know that the prices really have, you talk about the collective prices of the jets running backs. I think Ty Johnson and and Tevin Coleman at their really cheap prices are interesting plays on early season work. And then I think Michael Carter is an interesting play, but probably now it looks more like as a guy that you're going to have to stash and hold and hope that, like you said, more, more like around mid season, he starts to earn more of the backfield. Maybe Tevin Coleman's dinged up again. We know he's, uh, you know, frequently struggled with injuries, you know, maybe Ty Johnson isn't showing enough explosiveness and Carter in limited work is showing some things, you know, those types of things might take some time, but Carter will probably get some touches. Um, And I talked about this concept in a different stealing signals post recently that things tend to move in the direction toward the younger guys. Often particularly when they have significant draft capital, that's sort of the tricky thing with, with Carter. He doesn't really have significant draft capital. It is possible. he could go, uh, this whole year and, and potentially his whole career being just treated as a backup because he was sort of drafted in backup running back range. But I think with this backfield and Ty Johnson's still young too, but I, but I do think with this backfield that with enough of the conversations that we've had after the draft and early in the off season uh, enough of the reports that we saw that were about Carter looking good and sort of being someone they see as a potential future piece that he's going to get some opportunities. The question is, you know, can he, can he do well enough in those to, to earn more? I think at his price, he's still an interesting... I mean, especially as it starts to slip a little bit, he becomes an interesting guy outside that range where those top receivers are going. But yeah, the whole Jets team is, is sort of undervalued. Uh, Zach Wilson is just completely, completely forgotten about in this uh, rookie QB class and, and could wind up being a pretty solid rookie. I mean, it, it does have shades of Justin Herbert last year where because he was drafted so high in the real draft, people... Don't necessarily want him. I think he's a fine target, and you know, especially that like can super flex in later rounds. But you mentioned Corey Davis too. And we talked at the top of the show about guys we, we think we might be wrong about. And I have to I have to mention him while we're on the Jets. He's a guy I'm gonna wind up being wrong about. <laughs> I've never been a huge Corey Davis fan, or I'd, certainly I was when he was a prospect, but not over the last few years, been a very big Corey Davis fan in part because he's been competing with AJ Brown, you know, just a, a Greek god walking among us. And so it's it's really tough to, to care about any other receiver on the Titans, but then Davis moves to the jets. He's changing teams. That's typically a bad sign. I've kind of just put him out of my mind. The reality is he was efficient. The last few years he did perform well, especially when you're considering he was playing against possibly the greatest receiver to uh, playing alongside possibly the greatest receiver to ever play football. And so the fact that he was productive is, is notable there. And then, we know that I love targets per out run and he goes over the jets. And the, the funny stat has been that he's, he's run like 10 routes and been targeted seven times. He's like broken that stat in the preseason. So that's a dude I'm going to wind up being wrong on.
2: It'll be interesting to see how, how that works out still the 50 year breakout article this season focused a lot on Davis, a lot on Mike Williams and how they're very unusual potential 50 year breakouts because they are very high draft picks. That's still, in this range where we haven't given up on them but they haven't broken out almost always players like that have either broken out or failed because they get so many chances you mentioned davis it's hard to be excited about him because not only what all the peripherals are but you watch them play and he seems someone who really is only effective playing off of aj brown and having the defense really be entirely somewhere else if he's got to be the lead guy that'll be less interesting and yet the lead guy could get the high target volume, and there's also the chance that with Elijah Moore also there and you know recovering from the little nicks that he's got, gets out there, and the two guys are dynamic together. In that case, you might like the less expensive guy, or you might like the situation where you still have the guy with the more upside. You could see how this offense would run through Davis early, run through Moore a little bit later. I think the main thing is that we're now pretty excited about the offense. You had mentioned Wilson and how he is undervalued. I know, Ben, that you'd also wanted to talk about the rest of these rookies. We're getting to the point where the prices for these guys related to what we think the upside could be, it, it's a very interesting sort of tactical question for these high-stakes drafts. You have Lance really pushing for the job. You have Fields really pushing for the job. Someone who, not as relevant for fantasy, but Mac Jones looking like I'd be pretty skeptical of the beat writers, you know, picking the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. We know that what whoever Bill Belichick wants is going to be the guy, but he has reportedly been fantastic. You know, they're dealing with the fact that Cam Newton may not be available for, you know, any game here and there throughout the season. So we have these four rookies behind Lawrence. I mean, it almost seems like Lance and Fields should be going ahead of Lawrence and maybe, some other guys will end up outscoring him as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, we when we look at lands and fields rushing upside, i I kind of been thinking all offseason and saying all offseason. I mean, in a lot of ways, this feels like it's going to be the year of the rookie QB. We've talked about that, but especially with those guys and the way that fields particularly has played in the preseason. I mean, I know it's gotten a lot of buzz and talk. I watched both of those games live. I was really interested in him and – I had those same opinions live. I certainly don't wasn't biased by the, the the positive talk. It was you know interesting to see everyone else sort of feel the same way. I thought Fields had some some great throws this preseason that weren't caught and and could be when he's playing with some better receivers because he's been playing behind Dalton with the second team. But the way those guys have have looked and 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 particularly their rushing ability, I mean, it, it feels like when they start they're, they they're going to challenge for top five points per game. Upside at quarterback. I mean, they certainly have those types of profiles. One guy you're talking about their rising prices, one guy that I've been sort of down on is Jalen Hurts, who has a ton of rushing upside. My concern has been some of the talk all offseason about potentially trading for people and all of these things, but he's looking like he's very likely going to start. And if he runs anywhere close, to, I mean, he ran over 11 times per game last year and just four starts, but if he runs anywhere close to that, he was also throwing more than 30 times a game in those stretches you have some really elite dual threat upside and, and that's why he's been going very high all offseason, even with some starting concerns. As we approach the season, are you, what are you? I, I guess I don't really know where you're at on Hertz, but are you considering him more positively the closer we get to the season, the more clear it becomes that he's the starter. I mean, I know I am personally,
2: I think he's going to be the starter. I think he's going to be the guy. I think he's going to play pretty well. And then it comes down to how much does the coach limit him? because we hear a lot about the emphasis there in Philadelphia of him being more of a traditional passer. And so he's going to have the rushing value. The question is, is it you know, cut in half, cut in a third? Does it remain at the same level? Can he be more efficient as a passer to make up for any of that? do they try and run an explosive offense or, you know, are they trying to kind of get through the season and see what happens next year? I mean, I'm always a little bit concerned about these teams where the head coach already seems to be looking to the following season. And it's almost like, you know, how can we make sure we don't lose by so much that I get fired right away? Maybe that's not the case. I think that the biggest news coming out of Philadelphia, that as it kind of relates back into hurts is that you've got two guys doing things that, watchers of the team didn't think were possible jalen rager has been fantastic in practice and yet quez watkins has been so good that there's a question of even who is the number two receiver going to be we loved quez's profile you've got a guy who was just this monster dominator in college obviously played smaller school but also very fast you know so when you have the guy who was a good college player and has nfl athleticism I think that we're not as worried about this low draft cost. You could be looking at a three wide set with Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, all three of those guys underpriced in fantasy, but all three of them also buttressing the rushing value for Hurts in a way where this becomes a pretty fun offense. So, you know, not just one where we could benefit in fantasy, but it could be a fun team to tune into every Sunday.
3: Allow me a moment to tell you about North One. North One is better banking for small business owners. Serving small business owners is all they do. North One allows you to manage your money from anywhere, whether you're at home or on the go. Everything you need to manage your business finances is at your fingertips. Never step foot in a bank branch again. In addition to features you'd expect, like mobile check deposit, cash withdrawals, the ability to send and receive ACH and wire payments, North One is an FDIC insured account that can save you both time and money. North One integrates with the accounting software you already use, saving you hours of manual bookkeeping. And with North One's envelope feature, you can automatically budget and save for things like rent, payroll, taxes, and more. With North one you'll never pay overdraft or NSF fees again saving you hundreds of dollars per month to get started visit ply.northone.com forward slash rotoviz that is a p p l y dot n o r t h o n e dot com forward slash r o t o v i z ply.northone.com forward slash rotoviz north one business banking made for america
1: They were the hardest one for me to write, the stealing signals that I just just wrote this week with the NFC and AFC East. I I haven't been drafting a lot of Eagles and I couldn't really explain why. I mean, I it was sort of because Hertz has been rushing a lot and I, you know, that takes a lot of the value out of the offense. But I've gotten questions about my ranking on Devonta Smith, which isn't, you know, way below ADP or anything, but based on sort of the way that I like to target players, why am I where I'm at on him? And I don't know that I have a great answer for that. Maybe it's just a little bit of concern about sort of the rotational tendencies in Philly the last few years. Um, they do still have the same wide receivers coach there. That's a point that, uh, that Pat Corrine has made before that their wide receivers coach has, has emphasized in, in, in conversations that he likes to rotate guys. They bring in Nick Sirianni from Indianapolis uh, who was the office of coordinator there the last few years and one of Frank Reich's biggest tendencies in Indianapolis was sort of rotational stuff at his skill positions. So I have some concern especially because they're deep at at the various skill positions that they we won't have anybody running enough routes or or playing enough snaps to to be considered sort of like full time compared to some other offenses that maybe just go really heavy like 11 personnel and and keep sending the same three receivers out there every single week uh you know every single play and uh at the same time that doesn't mean that like there's not going to be some players in this offense that are running more routes than others and and aren't going to you know be potentially very valuable and Smith is very interesting. Rager is interesting as a potential sort of, you know, bounce back year two at a very good cost. Quez had a really interesting late round profile. You know, was it early to Not a three-year early to because he redshirted, but multiple really strong seasons at Southern Miss. Tons Tons of production. Doesn't get on the field right away last year because he was drafted after John Hightower, another sort of deep threat in the same class last year. And naturally... You know, the the team is going to lean towards the draft capital and and typically play the guy first that they liked more in their evaluation. Hightower got his chances last year. was not very good. Watkins got some playing time late in the year, made a couple of plays, very, very limited playing time in, I think, about the last four games playing with Hertz, But then has lit up camp, like you said, and scored a long touchdown in a preseason game and showing some of those things that would make you think, okay, this is why this guy, when we talk about the long view – was productive in college, and we do know that when they're sixth-round picks, they tend to take a little bit of time to actually earn the, the the playing time, but he he got there late last year, at least started to get on the field, and he had a long touchdown in, uh, in Arizona, I believe, late last season, and now that's carried over to this offseason. That's what that building looks like for a sixth-round pick where they might actually have an opportunity this year. He's interesting, certainly as a very late pick, probably, you know, sort of behind Devontae and, and Rager in terms of interestingness, but all, all of them are, yeah, I just I don't know what to do with this offense. What, why am I so down on this offense, Sean?
2: Well, the arguments you just made suggest you're going to be adjusting your rankings slightly <laughs> and definitely drafting Hertz. But I wanted to ask you, who are you drafting with Lance and Fields? It seems like a no-brainer to go after those guys, even though, uh, even where they go, you still do have to make a tricky choice between that player and it may be between this quarterback and an A.J. Dillon. I mean, they could rise into the range where you're having to make some of those choices, which are still tricky choices. Do you like them with a Joe Burrow? Do you prefer them with like a Matt Ryan or a Ryan Fitzpatrick really late, someone just to get you through a couple of weeks and it costs less? Uh, Burrow's one of the names you have on the sheet here questioning sort of where we are On the Bengals, are we still concerned about his injury? You wrote something really interesting in Stealing Signals recently about the ETN injury and kind of contrasting it with some things with Jamar Chase, where he wasn't looking particularly good in training camp. You know, hasn't been a buzzy guy. People are already very disappointed, in part because, you know, Rondell Moore has been good. Elijah Moore has been the talk of offseason. You know, Jalen Waddell now is being looked at as this guy who could be a media superstar. And yet... Not surprisingly, not too long after your newsletter goes out, we start to see the rhetoric begin to shift around Chase. And it still looks to me like this three wide receiver set for the Bengals is going to be incredibly explosive in 2021.
1: Yeah, I don't know if Burrow's the one that I like to pair with those rookies, because Burrow to me is a pick where you're betting on upside. I mean, you're betting on a guy having a monster season. And that's sort of the pick I'm making with the rookies too. So in in my head, when I make the rookie pick, it's like, this is going to be my guy. I don't typically like to stack mid-round quarterback bets. I've certainly done it. And and there are are spots where you wind up, it's really flat at other positions. And you're like, you know, the best thing I can do for my roster right now is to take another upside shot at quarterback. And maybe one of these guys hits. I'm, I'm certainly increasing the odds when I do that type of a thing. But for me, it's like, if I'm going Burrow, I'm I'm basically committing to Burrow and I am sort of expecting that he might start a little bit slow. He might be a little tentative to take off and run early in the year, which was a decent amount of value for him last year. He had three rushing TDs and he averaged as many rushing yards per game, 14, not a ton, but as many per game as Ryan Tannehill has in his career to give you some context. That is, you know, 1.4 additional points per game on average. It's some games it's 30 yards, some games it's five, but it's a little bit of rushing and there is some question about how much will he run now with this, this leg injury. I think, as he gets more comfortable throughout the year, we'll still see him move and, and run a little bit because so much of QB rushing is is just sort of finding open space, you know, navigating the pocket and then just being like, oh, hey, I can run for 10 yards right now. Uh, it's not like he can't move. You know, Tom Brady still can run. So anyway, I, I do think Burrow will do a little bit of scrambling still. But the upside, as you said, is, is chase. And it's it's really when you look at, you know, the great AYA app at Rotoviz, you can look at Burrow's targets last year. He was absolutely electric throwing passes to T Higgins. Their their connection was over 10 adjusted yards per attempt, which is very high. Tyler Boyd comes next. He's like right around eight, I believe, which is also pretty strong. And then you have AJ Green, who was four something, right? Like he was absolutely dead weight on 74 targets. I believe it was from Burrow before Burrow went down. And you're changing that guy out for potentially the best prospect we've seen in what i mean since amari cooper in five six seven years that's that's why you draft burrow because then suddenly you're like okay well he was really good throwing to these other two receivers and now he has another one that could be a superstar oh yeah and he threw to him in college and was very good throwing to him in college so yeah when i make the Burrow bet it's it's certainly an upside bet i really like him as an upside play for those reasons like you just were kind of laying out as well and I'm not particularly concerned at all. Actually, I'm not concerned at all about Chase's drops. There's literally no concern. It's nice that his price has fallen a little bit because now I can get more of him. I thought he was pretty pretty steep in price for most of the offseason. Um, but my point in my Stealing Signals uh, article to, to to that you um, referenced was Jamar Chase is a top five pick. Everything is going to move his direction in terms of getting him more and more chances all all year. It doesn't matter that he had some drops. They will manufacture opportunities for him to continue to get the chance to be a star. It doesn't matter if he continues to have issues, he will get a third chance. He'll get a fourth chance this season until he starts to, to, to play well, presumably, unless he's just bad, he's going to be fine. He's not going to get benched. You know, we saw it with Jonathan Taylor last year. There was some concern in the middle of the year they found a a reason to get back to Jonathan Taylor late in the year. Uh, Even like Deontay Johnson is not, you know, wasn't a rookie last year, but got benched a little bit. They went back to him. You know, the the coaches want to use certain guys. That's just the way that it works. So anyway, yeah, I like bro a lot with the rookies. I'm, I'm probably pairing him with like a Fitzpatrick, somebody late for sure.
2: And then Ben to finish up today, you've got a couple other offenses on the sheet that you were interested in talking about. We have the Cowboys, with Dak Prescott. Interesting with the Thursday night game to start especially. We also have what looks to be a meltdown happening, really not even in slow motion there in Jacksonville, where you have ETN go down, you have Chark missing basically this opportunity to get going with Trevor Lawrence. You have Buzz for Marvin Jones. I think anytime Marvin Jones is drawing Buzz, that's really bad news for your entire rest of your offense because You should have players where the contrast is that Marvin Jones isn't the guy who jumps out to the people watching practice. And then you have all of these whispers that the team already hates the head coach. Does this help us or hurt us on Chanel? Obviously having Chark miss some time, you have targets go to Chanel. Having ETN completely wiped out, you have targets going to Chanel. We're already kind of in this weird space where if you're doing a dynasty startup right now and it's super flex. Probably Trevor Lawrence should not be the first rookie QB to go. Probably shouldn't be the second rookie QB to go. You get to that Wilson-Mac Jones conversation, how well Jones has played, and you could make some choices there. Now, we do know that Lawrence comes in, maybe not as a generational prospect, maybe not as an Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning type, but someone who can be a foundation piece. Are you wavering on him at all with all of the sort of negative noise coming out of Jacksonville?
1: I'm not, um, and I think like that. That was the the classic sort of Sean hot take that doesn't necessarily sound like a hot take because you just said that Trevor Lawrence is maybe in the Mac Jones area in in Dynasty Superflex startups, which is, I mean, that was spicy for me to hear personally. Uh, I I'm sitting here thinking, man, I took Trevor Lawrence in the first round in one league where I really needed a quarterback that I'm in with Sean. Uh, God, what, what does Sean think about that pick now? But. You on uh, uh, this little question that we had sort of potentially hitting at the end, have, what are you most worried about being wrong on? And you put Visca underneath that. So actually this is a question that you need to answer because I absolutely have to hear this take and tell you how wrong you are.
2: We know that the structural drafting is gonna work, right? We know that over time, you're gonna come out way ahead by picking the right people, in the right places. Within any given couple of weeks or month, you can get into this time period where people are really concerned about the narrow outcomes. People are really concerned about these cheap veterans paying off early. And so you have all the Marvin Jones buzz and there are some other guys, and and Emmanuel Sanders is actually somebody that I have quite a bit of late because it really looks like Diggs and Sanders are the only two guys on that team who actually want to play on Sundays, right? So Sanders could have a lot of target volume there. You look in the period of a month or even a half of a season, and some of these guys are going to play pretty well. And then you're going to have people come back to you and say, you know, look, you didn't need to do these things. You could have taken the running backs early, and then you can run out Emmanuel Sanders and Corey Davis and Marvin Jones and win. And so it's mostly these unlikely but but possible scenarios where that plays out to the point in time that it puts a lot of our listeners under pressure in their leagues. Because I think the people ask us what we're worried about missing on, or what we're worried about, you know, being wrong on. And yes, I mean we play in a lot of high-stakes leagues, we want to win. In those leagues, we want those teams to do well, but we also want the listeners and the readers to do well and feel a lot of connection with our community and our rooting card for our community. And so when we're wrong, I mean, it's not just like I was wrong, but you know, I, I haven't done what I needed to do for the people that I care about, which is the Rotoviz community, the Stealing Signals community, the Stealing Bananas community. And so you know, that would make me nervous right this idea that either chanel gets a little bit of a ding early or that he just doesn't come through because not every player who is a great prospect and even is generating buzz does that i mean you're not going to be right 100 of the time and i think the nightmare going into any given season is that you could be wrong in a big way even though the thought process was right you can still be wrong and so we talked a lot about my whole approach to fantasy football is I want to create a strategy, a structure where I can be as wrong as possible and still do well, if I'm drafting in a way where I have to be right on everything, then you're going to lose. If you're drafting in a way where you can be wrong, 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 and still win, you know, that's where you come up with at the end of the season, your teams are in the finals. You've won a bunch of money. You know, your subscribers have done well. That doesn't mean that weeks along the way, there aren't things that happen like Marvin Jones having some big games where you know it hurts you, it hurts the listener. So I, that's my fear, right? It would be something along those lines. I tell the story from time to time about an email I got from a subscriber at one point after the first month of the 2019 season when the Vikings and Diggs got off to a slow start and just suggesting that I would never mention Diggs again. And I mean, it's easy to look back and say, well, that's not been the case i mean it's turned out in a very positive way we want to look at the longer view but you can go through a month where things don't work out the way that you wanted them and it hurts you in part because it hurts the people you care about which is this community
1: that was such an eloquent non-answer which was that you don't not have faith in in visca but you don't want to hurt the people around you no i i mean i get it i get it so if i if i hear that correctly though you were kind of saying that the, the concern as it relates to Visca is that Marvin Jones is is sort of better early in the year. And then in some ways, Visca season plays out a lot like those veterans that you are talking about where maybe he's good in stretches, but you're not seeing the full season explosion necessarily. And there's going to be lulls as well. There might be lulls early in the season is what you're concerned about.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think they could be bad. Right. And if you're bad, if you're punting a lot, if you're not scoring, then it weighs on everybody. And suddenly you're in this situation where I mean simply having Carlos Hyde on your roster is a very bad sign. And so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of concern that the Jaguars are going to do things that are very counterproductive for reality football, very counterproductive for fantasy football. I think that you have to acknowledge that if you want to be a huge La Disca Chenault shareholder, because, you know, it's not hundred percent that it works out. He's a monster, you know, he should be the guy where next year he's being drafted in the second round, but it, just, it doesn't always work out. And if, if it can't work out, it could not work out in Jacksonville because they seem hell bent on doing screwy stuff.
1: Yeah, but look, Calvin Johnson was good on some terrible Detroit Lions team. So obviously, Lavisca Chenault being on that same tier of player is is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm well,
3: going to choose to
2: like take another two tenths off his forty time. <laughs>
1: I'm going to choose to bury my head in the sand on this one. Actually, the last guy I really do want to mention, because we were talking about preseason uh, news, and this guy's, I think, maybe the most interesting right now, just kind of out of the blue, is this Tony Jones guy. We are recording this Friday. It's going to publish, I believe, Monday. It'll be interesting to see sort of what happens in their last preseason game over the weekend. But there's been talk about sort of Latavius Murray potentially being released as a cat casualty. We talked about Kamara a little bit, I I believe, on the first show this week. Liking him more. Are you interested in Tony Jones at all?
2: I think you have to start adding him at the very end, right? Because we know that the Saints are going to have so much work for the running backs that Kamara can't handle it all. And now that we're back to believing they're going to be an explosive offense, then that second guy matters. But I would say, you know, you have to be – last round, you need to realize that there probably is more to still happen in that backfield. There are some very smart people who are still on Latavius Murray, and even Murray actually didn't have much standalone value last year. He scored big in a couple of weeks when Camara didn't play, but the idea that that standalone value that was there in some previous seasons was still there last year, might still be there this year, I think we can be sort of overconfident that what's happened before will happen again in some of these backfields. It's more likely that the backfields become sort of more normal in terms of having the same shape as the rest of the backfields in the NFL, where you're not really taking a backup to a superstar. I mean, if you're looking at backups to superstars, look at somebody like Hubbard. You know, don't look at someone who is just coming on the radar late, you know, was not – you know, a standout player in college, that kind of thing. You've got better directions to go with those roster spots because, you know, in relatively deep leagues, in redraft you have 20, in a lot of leagues you have 16. If you have defense and kicker, you're down to 14. It's just really hard to spend at that situation until we know even more than we do now. Would you agree with that, that this backup situation with the Saints, with the new kind of offense and all of that may not be something that we really need to care about?
1: Yeah, no, and I think a lot of the, the Murray excitement related to Hill potentially starting too because they did do some interesting stuff when Kamara was in the lineup when Hill took over last year. There was a couple games there where Murray sort of started and got a, a little bit more work as the power between the tackles guy because they're using Hill to sort of you know pull and, and run on the edge more, and, and that kind of was a negative for Kamara. With Jameis starting especially, I, I completely agree with what you were saying that the backfield could just look a lot more like, oh yeah, we're going to use Kamara in the backfield. We're also going to split him out wide. The other back's only going to get on the field when Kamara's also on the field. We can't take him off the field. He's our best player. I think that makes a lot of sense. We were looking, I know you were you were talking a little bit about Jones' profile before we started recording and, and talking that he's a bigger back, not particularly fast, was not very productive in college. The profile isn't fantastic. And so I think you said it very, very well that like if you're in a league where you only have maybe 14 you know, non-kickers and defenses, you can't take Tony Jones. If, even if you're in a 20-man league, it's probably vaguely thin. I've seen some drafts where he started to creep up into like the 12th round. We're not taking him there.
2: Yeah, I know. I think you've got other directions that you can go. It, one of the things we're doing when we're looking for backups is we're looking for guys where we think that if something happens to the starter and we always give that caveat that we don't – we're definitely not rooting for it to happen. We don't necessarily even think that it will happen – but you want backfields where you think the start, the backup could be the guy. It doesn't seem likely that Tony Jones would be the guy if Alvin Kamara goes down, does it? Or
1: That, that doesn't seem likely at all. They, they might do some type of committee. He might have value. But I agree. I don't think there's a lot of scenarios where this sort of big but not particularly fast – I mean, and that, that's not the end of the world. If he's hitting holes and he's running hard and all these things that, that Sean Payton's loving, that he's not necessarily fast, he's probably going to get carries in between. You know, he could be that Latavius Murray sort of hammer, but he's not a guy that, that um, his profile gives a lot of optimism for the ability to have a lot of receiving value. You know, we know the Saints will use the backs in the in the red zone, so maybe he could pound in a few short touchdowns, but you're looking at a pretty trappy profile as, you know, longtime readers of me might know what that means. It's just sort of, the low value rush attempts and not a ton of the high value stuff. So they probably, I think use somebody else in the passing game, right? I mean, I don't know that, that he would be this, this full-time back, like you said. So he is interesting a little bit because we do know the saints value their running backs. Saints running backs score a lot of touchdowns every season, but I think you had the exact right take on our first show this week, which was Tony Jones is your number two. Well, Latavius Murray's not even there anymore. Then Alvin Kamara has to be the second player off the board.
2: Then take us out with a hot take. Gerald Everett, the writers in Seattle love him. He's going to be the new ultra-efficient star with the Seahawks' top-five tight end this season now. No. <laughs> you, you wanted a hot take,
1: but, yeah, I mean, Seattle likes to rotate guys. Will Disley's going to play. No one has gotten more than 60 targets in this offense the last two years other than Metcalf and Lockett since Metcalf was drafted. I just don't know. I don't I don't know he that Everett's going
2: to yeah, a similar player to what he was with the Rams.
1: I think he's going to get more volume than with the Rams. I definitely think his TD rate is going to be strong because Wilson likes to throw to his, t- uh, his tight ends, but I don't think he's going to get more than 80 targets An efficiency player and, and an interesting late round efficiency bet at tight end.
2: We're going to stick with Logan Thomas, Irv Smith, Cole Kmet, and go down with the ship. If that doesn't look out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way I'm looking at it. Yep. Well, Ben, that takes us to the end of another fun Stealing Man. It was fun to go over these guys who are emerging in the preseason, talk a little bit about how we play the preseason. That's going to do it for today's episode. I'm Sean Siegel, and with me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards per Gretchen. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. I'm sure you enjoyed some of the stats he pulled out from his newsletter today. During the show, uh, please consider subscribing to Rotoviz. We've had a fun time with you guys over the last couple of weeks. Uh, If you haven't yet and want to, you can get a 10% discount using the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Please subscribe to our feed. We have new shows dropping all the time and you will get them right away Uh, with that subscription. Leave us a rating and review if you can. We've gotten uh, so much outpouring Uh, In that space, I don't necessarily even feel like we deserve it, but we're very, very grateful. We will see you soon. If you're drafting Uh, between now and the next time that we talk with you, a very big good luck.